Welcome to Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids, a podcast that steps into alternative education, parenting, and living a funner, fuller family life. I'm Robin, home educator, unschooling mom to two funny, eclectic kids, and we're here to create a space for families to listen, connect, learn from others, and be inspired. Join us every two weeks to hear interviews and tips from experts in learning, education, and parenting, and stories from families that are playing full out in the arena of life and education. World schooling, unschooling, alternative schooling, homeschooling, or just creating a whole new style of learning. Welcome to Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. My name is Robin Robertson. I'm the host and creator of this podcast, and I'm a home-educating mom to two kids who are now teenagers, and I'm just really grateful that you're here today. And I'm guessing, like me, you came because you want to learn more about homeschooling or unschooling, learning, self-directed education, or you have some questions, some doubts, maybe some insecurities about this path that you're choosing to take or you've chosen to take that looks very different from school. So I welcome you here because we share a ton of inspiration, stories, resources to help support you on your journey. And this episode you're tuning into is one of a series that I'm offering this summer that's based around literacy and the supports and resources that you can find for literacy. I like to say literacy instead of just old plain reading and writing, because reading and writing is a part of literacy that begins from before the time our children can speak. And I really like to look at it as a way to build and create an environment that is safe, secure, connected and joyful, but looking at it as a way to communicate. And you know, communication is not just reading and writing. Reading and writing is a form of communication, one of the many ways. But we can build that communication in other ways as well. And we do that from when our kids are even infants in the womb or just small toddlers. So welcome. I also want to let you know that this is not the only place that you can find inspiration and information. Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids community is also on Patreon. So if you'd like to support the podcast and be part of that private community, go to patreon.com slash honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids, where you can also find many of the resources, downloads, freebies that I offer, not to mention a live monthly Q&A where you can bring all those questions and doubts and we will discuss, answer as best we can, and also inspire each other too. And for this summer, I'm offering the live Q&A, that gathering, to every patron level so that it's accessible to all as we're beginning this next phase of your learning year or school-like year, um, if you go by that calendar or the new, the new school year. We also have a clubhouse community, which is our on your mobile phone, and that is a community where we engage in discussion, answer questions. We host that a couple times a week. July was a break, but we'll be starting up again in August, as well as our How to Be an Awesome Homeschooler Summit, which Kelly Edwards and I have created, Kelly Edwards of the 90-Minute School Day. And the next summit, the annual summit, will be in March of 2023. It's a fantastic free summit with keynote speakers, Q&A, 
giveaways, draws, and fantastic community discussion and inspiration. So how to be an awesome homeschooler.com. You can also go to the website how to be an awesome homeschooler.com. So that will be in March of 2023 is the next summit. And now for this episode, I interviewed Josh Davidson, who is the founder and managing director of the digital platform, online digital platform, Night Zookeeper, which supports literacy and reading and writing for our kids, but it does it in a creative, gamified way. And so we talk about the power of gamification and play, creativity, the power of our children, and the digital technological world that we live in today. And um, I really appreciated the story that Josh shared and how this is. This was created for the young Josh who had dyslexia and had so many wonderful ideas in his head, but just struggled to get them out. So enjoy the episode. Welcome. I have Josh Davidson joining me today. And Josh is the creator and managing director of Night Zookeeper, a magical, inspirational brand where children discover and create their own imaginative animals. These animals join an interactive world, which encourages children to learn to read and write. Their unique creations can feature in storybooks, an animated series on Sky Kids, and even in a collectible card game. The TV series was the first in the world to be co-created alongside children and had 150,000 entries. Josh is a passionate public speaker on games, literacy education, and creativity. He was also one of the first students in the UK to complete an MA in digital art. And in every professional role he has had, he's tried to retain his creativity and enthusiasm for new approaches and ideas. And his, his willingness to experiment in his work has led him to be recognized with several industry awards. Josh joins me from the UK. Welcome, Josh. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. So I guess maybe first I want to ask about being the first student in the UK to complete an MA in digital art. Can you yes. tell me a little bit more about that? Absolutely. So Obviously, it was um, at a time where uh, digital art was becoming, um, you know, much more prevalent in, in, in the mainstream art culture. And it was a, a degree, a master's degree called Digital Practices. Um, and we studied hybridized uh, technologies, uh, spatialized technologies and uh, collaborative technologies. And actually, the collaborative technologies was my favorite part because that was back in the days of very, you know, the early forums and blogs that were starting to see people gather around um, uh, places on the internet and share ideas and, and collaboration. And from an art perspective, I thought um, this was really exciting. Um, but I, with all of my art that I'd done previously, I'd always done an element of storytelling. And I've loved the idea of using the internet and this, these sort of collaborative online spaces to co-tell stories. And there was a lot of really interesting artists doing stuff around this area. So I, um, I found a, uh, a story that I had written in my book of ideas, like my ideas book, if you like. Um, I had written a story about a zoo at nighttime which had spying giraffes that could turn invisible and elephants that could travel in time. And, you know, I had lots of little stories, but this one just kind of felt right and ripe for a collaboration because when you go into a children's bookstore, it's, of course, it's full of stories about magical animals, unique right. animals. And I thought, well, there probably isn't 
a human being on this planet that couldn't sort of create their own magical animal that could be part of a, a fantasy world of a, of, of a night zoo where anything is possible. So I used this as the basis for one of my first modules that I studied um, on that master's and built, you know, right now, you know, looking back, an incredibly rudimentary website, which was essentially just a connection of different blogs, um, but different blogs that were written about uh, characters that I was creating, but also my friends and family that I cajoled into, into creating it. So my mum, I think my mum created a, a rabbit that um, used to make necklaces out of daisy chains. Um, my dad told me to go away. No, no, my dad told, I think my dad created a, <laughs> some kind of uh super powerful bear and and immediately you know it was it was exciting because it wasn't just me creating it it was it was it was all of uh, my friends and family and then once it's on the internet that's when it gets really exciting because right. suddenly right. people from all over the world like could could have got involved and at the time not many did i have to say but um but they the fact that you could be a thing was very exciting anyway so so that was a module that i did as part of this this degree a long long time ago but it stayed in the back of my head this idea um and i went and i had a career uh in in marketing and in in communications and, and a variety of other you know smaller jobs uh, washing dishes etc and eventually sort of noticed that the um that this idea of using the internet to be creative ultimately rather than just kind of consume media mm-hmm. didn't exist um it, it wasn't no one was doing it and it felt like it needed to be done um and you know of course i would say that because i was a you know a, a boy who had grown up inventing my own characters and writing stories and painting and loving that side of childhood so i really wanted to see those things that i loved and cherished as a kid brought to life um so i revisited that master's project i revisited the night zookeeper or the nighttime zookeeper as it was called at the time uh with a friend of mine um paul hudson who was a primary school uh teacher that was fed up of the, the sort of the formula that he had to follow in school and was much more interested in project-based learning um and sort of saw what i was creating with night zookeeper as a fantastic um, vehicle for project-based learning so together we you know we scraped some savings and we went and persuaded a bank to give us a little loan and created night zookeeper so actually you, it was a it was an apt first question and i know i rambled for a while but it was very apt because it was that initial trigger it was the fact that i i got involved in a course that was sort of pushing the boundaries of what you could teach students about technology um or art students about technology obviously there was lots of degrees about technology at the time but this was, it was specifically putting art students in, the, in in front of technology and saying see what you can create and that that sort of triggered my entire career really how long ago was this can i ask about 26 years ago something like that years. okay yeah that makes sense okay okay and i actually it was I didn't, I was just interested to know, like, how were you the first <laughs> kind of thing? But well, I, I didn't know that it led to first. Night Zookeeper, yeah. that it was yeah. the per- yeah. it was percolating all that, you know, all the way back then. It really was, yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. Okay. So I, obviously you're creative, right? I, that's what I get already. You, you value creativity and it's part of your life in many ways. Absolutely. I can say I value creativity. I question my own creativity now that I'm working with kids who sort of, whose own creativity sort of blows me out of the water. I mm. really value that, the, that 
whatever it is that I have of creativity, it's my favorite bit of myself. And um, but yeah, it's it's absolutely dwarfed by the 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 creative minds that I get to work with and you know, with the kids on the platform. Right, right. So I'm just wondering about Josh as a kid. And I'm thinking, you know, right now you work, your creation is a creation for kids and with kids, you work with kids. So do you see yourself any, any of the kids that you work with now? Or what was Josh like as a kid, especially to have this idea of night zookeeper? You know, that I usually so many of our ideas actually begin from a very young age. And when we are older, we slowly uncover, oh, it started way back then. Isn't it strange? Like, I find it quite freaky, actually, how unoriginal I am as a new myself. Um, like, when you go back through an old folder and you're like, oh, yeah, I thought of that already. Oh, I did that already. And now I'm thinking about it afresh. Um, I thought about, I, I was asked to give a talk to, um, there's a program in the UK. Um, that's it's called the children's university i don't know if you have it in america but essentially it's a lovely, it's a lovely I'm, in, I'm in canada actually but um and um yeah so the 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 kids from disadvantaged backgrounds get to go imagine that they've gone to university and they just have to do that it's kind of like they do activities and it can be any activity really like going to the leisure center or going and visiting the library or whatever it is but they earn stamps and then from that those stamps they end up with a ceremony as if they've graduated from university and it's a nice sort of moment for the kids to feel like they they can achieve that uh, in their lives and um i gave a speech there and i had to rack my brains about what i was going to say and i remembered that my very first story that i wrote down on paper that i remember i had a little red book and it was about a flying fox and so i already was creating a magical animal. It was my first story. It was about this fox that could fly. And now I've got a giraffe that can turn invisible. So not, it hasn't really changed. And I'm sure there are many, many foxes that can fly being created on Night Zookeeper as we speak. Because um, as I said to you just before we, we started recording, I, I made Night Zookeeper probably for that little that little Josh that was uh, was there writing his stories um i was you know uh, i was pretty horribly dyslexic as a kid i have to say as well like i was terrible at spelling and didn't didn't love the process of writing before it but i loved stories and it was a battle it was a constant like battle inside me like i've got all these things i want to share and tell and but i don't really have the skill to, to write it down in a way that i'm proud of um so i guess that's and that's the spark, I guess, that, that that sort of drives me to create Night Zookeeper is trying to give those kids that are full of ideas, like we just said, like the creativist minds, like where they can think of anything, but they can't communicate it. They can't get it down. They don't have the confidence to, um, and they need to build the skills in order to be able to share those ideas. So, yeah, a real essence of, of Night Zookeeper is, is trying to give kids that, um, that voice uh, and those skills to, to, to share. Okay. Okay. So how does it do that? Because I'm thinking about parents who have kids who are maybe struggling, who, um, whether it's a certain, um, you know, neurodiversity or they, you know, they, they have ideas in their head. I think of like one of my kids who has all these ideas in the same, but just to get them out on paper, for example, is, you know, it's like the ideas are going faster than what they're able to actually put out. So how does Night Zookeeper do that? So 
we we do a lot around drawing. Um, the very first experience on night so you were the first first prompt, if you like, the first thing we ask a kid to do is to draw their animal. So that's where you know they're they're thinking these things through. They're they're deciding so much, and we noticed this right back when I first started the company. And you know, before we had the website, you'd go in to uh, you know, as I say, like a library or into a classroom or into a, you know a community center, and you'd get kids to start to draw. And before they'd even drawn the head, you know, they were telling you about its six brothers and seven <laughs> dragons. And but but at least the drawing side, you're like, okay, well that's brilliant. Can you can you just show me that as you draw? And so as you're drawing, you're you're drawing out of them this character, and they're building it in their mind. So that once they've got the drawing, then we start to ask them question after question about it. So this is for a, for a writer, someone who's intimidated by you know the, the blank page, mm-hmm. uh, where it's like, now tell me about your animal. Like that's too tough for for most kids, um, especially kid, the sort of kid that that um, I was and, and that, that we believe we're helping. But by saying, you know, what's its name? Okay, I can tell you its name, no problem. I'll just type that in. Does it have any special powers? Oh yeah, it's got loads of special powers. Okay, it will tell you me the special powers. And it's you know, simple, but this is all happening through an interface where literally they're chatting to the drawing that they've just made. So the animal that they've just created is asking them about themselves. And so it's immediately a little bit of role play. It's kind of a game. It's fun. It's almost like a text chat between them and the animal, but it's getting them writing. And every question that we ask is drawing out all those ideas that were bubbling around inside their head as they were drawing it. But it's just giving them an opportunity. They've already got the idea. Now they're just having to answer this one question. And then we do subtle things. Like if they don't put a full stop, uh, if they're a certain age, we don't do it all the time, but if they're a certain age and they forget to put a full stop, maybe the penguin professor, another one of my characters, pops up and say, hey, why didn't you put a full stop there? So it's not telling them it's wrong or it's right. or It's just, okay, this little encouraging things to get it through. Right? And then what's really nice is that all of those questions that they've answered, that they've sort of not even thought about writing, suddenly we take all of that writing and we show them, you've written this much. So then we are on the word processor. But it's not blank. It's full of words, words that they've written. And that's a huge moment for a lot of kids who didn't think that they could ever write that much. For the kids that are like, you know, the writing stamina is such an issue because they're intimidated by it and because they're afraid of failure. As soon as they see, you've done all of this. And not only that, we also have a system on the site where you're writing on that zookeeper, where you win orbs, which are kind of like the reward um, thing that, that happens for kids. You, you can get orbs for achieving certain goals within the writing. And these are age-based and, you know, based on the student and how they're, they're progressing. But it might be, you know, can you use a certain adjective or don't forget to use a capital letter or a paragraph or, or, or certain things that you would, you would expect for the, for the kids to, to, to be developing at their stage. And if they've already done that in the writing, they've already won a few orbs just by answering those questions. They've won a few orbs, they've got all this writing, and now there's just a few more orbs they can win if they just write a bit more. So there's a few goals that they haven't done, but now they feel encouraged because they've already done so much. They've already won these orbs. All they have to do is just write a bit more, make sure they use that new word that they've just learned and been told what it means, and then they're going to get another orb. And even if it's right at the beginning of the game and they don't have a clue what that orb is for, the magic of gamification is that the kids want that orb. <laughs> they don't know why they want it, 
but they want it. Um, and then obviously, yeah, the, 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 the orb becomes useful as they progress through the game. But that's the that's the first lesson on like Zuki Brain. I would say it's that ethos that then carries us throughout the program and, and those sort of subtle um, showing, not telling, bringing kids along with us, being powered by their own ideas and their own imagination rather than us having to... Um, dictate what you do next 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 it's very um much almost that kind of digital equivalent of the learning space where you've got different stations for different activities and the kids can kind of lead themselves we're, we're, we've created Natsukipa like that and that you know that's that's not to everyone's taste we have had feedback um that it would be great if a kid just had to go boom 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 and sort of work through a curriculum of, of, of clear steps but the what's lovely is that the curriculum is there so when we reply to the parents that say why aren't they working through step by step the curriculum is there and they can see all on their own dashboard they can see the progress that they're making towards those learning goals it's just that kids are getting that sense of choice and control because they're the ones that are picking the activities and following their interests in tonight's week Interesting. That's interesting feedback that you've gotten, that parents want it to be more structured. They want it to be more, if you do this, then you do this, then you do this. I think it's the, it's the impression of the product. I think, you know, it's certainly whenever you go as um, colorful and bright and drawing and all these other aspects that we're putting into Night Zookeeper, which are about educating the whole child rather than just, you know, language arts, language arts, language mm-hmm. arts. There's, there's a lot going on on Night Zookeeper. Um, but yeah, it's it is as, as we reply saying, don't don't be fooled, you know, don't, don't be fooled by a book by its cover. Like there is a lot of structure going on to the learning on Nightzookeeper. If you log on after your kid's been using Nightzookeeper for an hour, you'll see all of the you know the aspects that they're covering that they need to cover. But they are the kid. The kid doesn't feel like that. They don't feel like that. And that's we a, to be honest, we are about it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is that's exactly it's a positive. And if, you know, if I'm truly honest, there is, obviously we have given kids some of that hour drawing, which is potentially not like how you most efficiently use a kid's time, if, you know, in certain school situations where you'd sort of cram uh, stuff into a kid's head, because that's not our education philosophy. We want kids to be engaged. We want them to be enjoying what they're doing and driving that experience themselves. Awesome. I, I get, I'm behind that educational philosophy for sure. And if it's an hour of drive, you know, I, I've, when we talk about literacy in this space and reading and writing, we really define it as, uh, or we ask parents to step out of the idea that literacy and learning literacy is like just, you know, learning your letters and learning how right. to form them. It actually begins from an infancy. Infancy. It's about communication. Literacy or reading and writing is a way to communicate and express, just like art and painting and, and movement and dance. It just happens to be another form, but it all ties together. And it's still literacy, whether you're just listening, whether you're singing, whether you're talking to your parents, whether you're they're sharing stories about their family life, all of that is actually building that that literacy space. Digital literacy is literacy. So yeah, we're Absolutely. big 
big advocates of that for sure. The other thing you said a word and, um, you know, it's come up a lot in our community conversations with Honey, I'm homeschooling the kids. And maybe you can speak to this a little bit. And and I know this is actually a term that is we use and that a lot of parents um, in this space understand is gamification. Yes. So what is what does gamification mean for you and why do you think it's important for any learner? Absolutely. So um, first thing to say is that I'm I've, I've since since I was a kid, there's two things that I've loved and it's stories and games. So mm-hmm. for me, like it, Night Zookeeper was always going to be a game. Like the thing that I made was always going to be a game. And like even like my I think my very first workshop that I did with kids, like we made like a board game and every animal, uh, every kid created an animal and then they stood in front of their picture and they were the, they play, they role played as if they were their animal. And then two zookeeper kids played as zookeepers and they rolled a dice and they walked around the board. And if they met an animal, the kid that was the animal role played and told them what they had to do. So we were cr- using games at the very essence of, you know, of what, night zookeeper is and, and ultimately what you just said um struck a, such a chord because it's about engagement and the i so I, I guess i'm saying that the magical animal idea that a kid wants to express so badly when you ask kids their ideas they want to express them so badly that that's why night zookeeper works at drawing out writing from them and it's the same aspect with games in the sense that if you give kids the feeling that this is a game, this is fun, this is play, then they get, it just further motivates and engages and makes them want to communicate. It makes them want to share that experience because the, the best games are social and it's about being part of communicating what's going on in your, um, in your head as part of the fun of the strategy of this game or whatever game that is. Um, and it just, again, it builds that communication. It builds that dialogue. So gamification, obviously, is the term that's that's now sprung up around any sort of use of games in, in, in any context or in any industry. Um, and to a certain extent, it, it kills the creativity of it, as any sort of term can, can do. It's, we're gamifying your coffee on a Monday morning. You can get <laughs> I, no, that's, that, you know, yes, it is. You're right. Correct. Ticker box. It's gamification. But for me games in education are are just meant to be together they're just meant to be as much as talking to your parents is the best thing you know if your parents then make it into a game they're talking and you're playing with it it's like you've started playing peekaboo with your baby um, mm-hmm. like it's that's what it is it's yeah. peekaboo with a baby just as the kid gets older and my job on my zookeeper is to make sure that we're being as fun back to the kids that are engaging with us as possible and so we use certain elements of games and things to 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 sort of bring that fun to to make it feel like you know a seven-year-old's probably a bit tired of peekaboo at this point so yeah we've got a few other things in there um, to to make it as fun as possible so so because really you're looking at ages six to twelve about right and that's right kind of the age group that you're looking at right okay okay and so was the idea, you know, really as it came together and your partner that was a teacher as well, did you, was it a collaboration? Like, I, did you, did either of you have access to something like this when you were younger, when you were little Josh learning and had all of those ideas that you wanted to get out? So, no, 
sadly not. Um, like I, don't, I didn't even have a computer when I was growing up, you know, to, to, to share beyond. I mean, I sort of talked the early versions of Night Zookeeper. I said, you know, we, we're tired of having kids' work stuck in a, t- you know, a teacher's drawer. We want to mm-hmm. get them to share it with the world and, and showcase it. Um, I'm totally making this for what I would have loved as a kid. Like my flying fox, it may, means something to me. I'm sure it meant something to my parents, but it, it never, it never met. No, no one else ever saw it or, or it never did anything. But now the kid that creates a flying fox or whatever they want to create an electro spike, for example, uh, on the night zookeeper website, it's actually now in that TV show that you mentioned. We've taken a kid's idea that he created and drew a picture of it and wrote a whole story about it. And then a team of professional TV writers looked at all of the work, the best work, and said, I'm going to write this into the script. And then, you know, half a million pounds later of a animation <laughs> TV production budget, there is your kid's animal, that idea there. But, you know, I feel like that's the value and that's the importance of these kids' ideas because it's very easy to to say, oh, it's just a kid's idea. But as I said right at the beginning, like the kids have genuinely incredible ideas. And, um, you know, it was Picasso, right, that said, I'm trying to see the world like a kid again. Like that's the true, true genius and the true creative. And as a society, we should be valuing that stuff. Um, so that's that's yeah, part of the core of Night Zookeeper. And um, yeah, for little Josh that didn't have these didn't have these tools uh, to be able to share those stories and, and amplify those ideas. Right, right. So then you know the other part of it is the digital literacy as well. And, um, you know, that that's a whole other side of the debate is, you know, some feel that, yes, this is a tool of our generation that, you know, kids, they need to know how to to work computers and their phones. And these are the main tools that they'll be using and accessing. And we know so many, like, my kids, I ask them for help if I need to know how to do on social media, on an app, whatever. If they don't know, I'll ask my kids and they'll they'll show me how to use it. Even if they've never used it before, they have this, they're like, Oh, this. this." Yes. Yeah. How is and night zookeeper is uh, a digital platform. So was that a specific, like what, what are your feelings on digital literacy and technology today in creativity and, and literacy? Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing to say is that night zookeeper was always meant to be hybrid. It was always meant to be um, something that, uses all of the benefits of digital technology but doesn't um abandon you know the 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 things that are better offline just get better so i love it when kids sit and paint a picture of their animal and then upload it to the website and we bring it to life in exactly the same way they just you know just have to take a photo of it and and immediately they've got it and all of the other benefits of it being digitized are there yeah. So easy. And, 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 you know, there are just some things that digital technology can do. And this is why kids get so excited about it, because it does broaden the world. It really does broaden the world for them. It connects them to people around the world. It gives them a voice. It gives them a platform where they can um, feel uh, that gaming uh, response. And I'm, I, you know, I'm a big, um, I don't say female, but I, I, I genuinely dislike a lot of kids games uh or games that kids end up playing like i'm i can rant about 
I, I, I won't name them, but you know what they are. Like the big games platforms. Do I? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's I won't okay, name any. Sorry. Give them the airtime, <laughs> but they, you know, they're monetized. They they sort of branded in such a way that adults play them, but kids play them as well. They're monetized by uh, looking at like gambling mechanics that sort of trigger the dopamine hit. But like, there's such an evil side to this, and it's it's an evil side not because the people that are creating them are evil, but because they're in companies that aren't thinking about the ethics of dealing with kids when they're building these products. And those are the games that kids are most are playing the most. Frankly, that's where the communities of kids are. And they're not necessarily safe because that's not been the corporate priority. And they're monetizing based on gambling mechanics. And so that's the that's where some digital gets a bad name. And of course it should. Like it really should. Um, but then if I can think about like the way the TV industry's gone, for example. And obviously, that it's good to limit kids' TV time. But one thing that I think most parents would now agree is that there are certain networks, like kids' TV show producers and networks, that are creating content that's educational, that's ethical, that's designed as the right, with the right hearts in the right place as something good for kids. And I think that's where we need to get games to. That's where we need to get educational games to as well. Because the truth is that we haven't got that same maturity maturity as an industry and we haven't got the same regulation in place and sort of the same curation in place happening in terms of what kids are experiencing and exposed to in the digital realm that we've had and i've, I've spent a lot of time over the last sort of 11 years of building night zookeeper going to conferences with people from the kids industry and everyone who's actually like genuinely in the kids industry and building things for kids are the nicest people like they're, they're all the people you want to be friends with. And every parent that sat down with those people would be like, oh my goodness, I want them to play with your stuff. But when it's like the gaming company that's making stuff for adults as well, and those are the things that end up kind of crossing over and the kids kind of getting sucked into those worlds, they're really being used by a machine that that is not geared and ethically around kids' digital play. So I guess I'm saying I've got a huge amount of sympathy with the idea that we shouldn't have kids using technology too much because i think it we shouldn't we should have it limited and curated um, but we shouldn't stop kids using it completely because used with supervision with curation with the idea of engaging with the right um technologies that are, are designed from an education perspective or, or whatever it is uh, that's that is a fundamental um right of a kid going forward because as you say it is the future for a for a lot of kids and they i'm sure they'll catch up frankly so i mean if a parent's like i don't want them to use it yet that's also fine um because you know kids are smart and they'll, they'll pick things up but yeah the opportunities that digital could afford can afford uh, and give to kids um are tough to ignore uh, and i'd say that night zookeeper is a primary prime prime example of that yeah absolutely i think um you know i we had a conversation in my community space on literacy and we had talked about digital literacy as well, because the other thing that it offers is if you're in a country that does not have access to a full library, you don't have access to a vehicle or anywhere um, that can get there. Um, You know, a lot of the resources that we kind of take for granted and think everyone has 
Um, not everyone does, but the thing with technology and digital literacy, it is something that has connected communities that would never have access before. Even just having a mobile phone when you can't, you can maybe read a book on there that you would never find at your local library. And it's places that many of us I know, you know, I know from experience of places that I've lived where we've taken it for granted. And then I, I remember I'm like, oh yeah, these, you know, there are no library books. This library is actually for the whole community plus all of the schools. And there's less here than in our, you know, in a bookshelf in, in Canada kind of thing, in, in a home kind of thing. But having a tablet or a phone, you all of a sudden have access when you might not have had it before. So, yeah, it does. It definitely makes things accessible to others, too, that, uh, you know, have not had that accessibility before. But, yeah, it's a, it's a new frontier in many ways. I mean, if I just take a, uh, an example of uh, of my zookeeper again, like when we first, when I very first, you know, sort of 20 years ago when I first did like the first project of it with Real Kids um, Plus, you know, I went into a, a room where I had like three books of pictures of, with pictures of animals in that was like available to sort of spread around the tables where kids were working and they could sort of flick through and look at the animals there for inspiration for what they might want to create. Um, and not every kid could look at it. Not every kid could, you know, because there wasn't enough books, and they were sort of mm-hmm. there was only the the animals that were in the books that were covered. You know, but now kids, I go into a classroom or I go into a, you know any environment, and the kids who've got have, one, they've already had all of this internet access, and so they've already filled their heads. The kids that love animals suddenly know more animals than me. Like they're they're, they're throwing animal names. I have no idea what this. Yeah. Is. Like that, and I'm, I'm the night zookeeper. <laughs> Where did you discover this animal? It lives in the rainforest. Oh, thank you. Um, you know, but they just have it. They, it's there for them. And, and as you say, that's that's the sort of democratization of, of information uh, mm-hmm. and the distribution of information and putting them in kids' hands has been, yeah, it's the way. It's the future. It's the future. It's the now and the future. Yeah, it will evolve even more. So do you think that there should be more accessibility of technology and digital literacy in schools then? Like from what you've created now and seen, especially since your partner was a teacher as well, especially with focus on project-based learning, is it something that you think schools can incorporate more than they do? Or do I, they do? I genuinely, genuinely think homeschoolers are kicking the butt out of schools on this. Like I think that um yeah the school system's behind um they, yeah. they don't they don't understand as i say they're, they're buying software that's you know at quite a high level for all students looking at the sort of the wrong criteria is my my sort of humble opinion they're looking at the wrong things and they're not thinking about what um what the kid needs and and, and they're more they've, they've got more curriculum boxes to tick and more more other they've got too many other criteria deciding what goes in so the best technologies are of course found by the best teachers and so you know things like night zookeeper are used in school but they're used in schools when a passionate teacher who wants to find a tool to give to their kids to help them because they know that they've got a problem with literacy or they they think that this looks creative and fun and they're 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 passionate about their job so they're doing it and of course, the sad truth is not not all teachers have that level of passion. They, some not all of the teachers have that same level of freedom. They get dictated as to what they have to do by yeah. at the district level. Um, but that's where you know homeschoolers have a real advantage because it's you know it's clearly a passionate 
parent that's teaching their kids. Uh, and so they, they've been able to access and, and, and discover tools like Notzuki, which is where um, you know, the bulk of our, our users in, the, um, in Canada and in the U.S. are, are, are engaging. Homeschoolers. That's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's totally awesome. Okay. So one of the last questions for you here. If, you know, your ideal scenario of creativity and supporting kids uniquely as they are, what would that look like? Are we there yet? Or what would you change? What would you kind of tweak as a whole for communities and society? Or maybe just narrow it down if you want to as well. Um, I mean, access is, is so important. Access is so important. Um, and, and, and it's prioritization as a society and knowing what, you know, where, where we want to get kids to by a certain point sometimes um, goes, it can sometimes go wrong because you're putting such pressure on kids that develop at such different stages. And again, this is something you learn right from the beginning. Like kids, every kid is different. Every kid develops at, different, at a different pace. And the rigidity, rigidity that we have within our education systems forces kids to reach certain levels at certain times that maybe they're not ready for. They'll get there, they'll surpass those levels. But we have such a, um, well, we've just got such a structured society that it, I think in a way you lose a lot of, you can lose a lot of kids by just imposing unrealistic timelines on them in terms of their, yeah. their development. So, we, you know, we're building the tools. Um, technology is amazing in terms of, uh, adaptive learning, you know, recognizing where a kid is in their learning journey and serving up relevant tasks and questions. And we've got some of that technology baked into Night um, And of course, it, it, it's, it's existing in things like maths, which are another subject, which is, you know, a cause for many a, a tantrum and a scream. But thanks to, to technology, that's unlocking a lot of the frustration because of being able to more accurately plot that learning curve and that learning journey from a kid so they don't get so frustrated and disappointed. So there's stuff that's happening within technology. What I think, where I think we're in trouble as a society in general on this issue is that we are still all thinking as adults, that most, in most cases, we're thinking as adults and we're applying adult logic to kid learning. And we do need to try and get back into the minds of kids. Be Pablo Picasso's. Get back into what it's like to be a kid. Go on that journey with the kid, and 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 sort of every aspect, therefore, of um, of their learning journey. So be with them and, and, and structure it in a way that suits them. But also talk to them at their level. Like that's where gamification, as you know, it's an adult term for uh, what is a kid from a kid's perspective is playing. Yeah, and yeah. that—that's what we should do. We should be playing with the kids. They're still kids, and this is the other thing that people forget: like the developmental process, you know, the, the kids' brains. You know, they're really not adults until very later on. In the, you know, we're talking well past those kind of teenage years. I think twenty-five is when twenty-five got the fully is fit. yeah, twenty-five yeah. got the fully formed brain. Like yeah. that, we need to be with kids all the way through that journey. Um, and I say that partly as someone who. I don't really feel like my brain woke up until I was like 25. Like I'd been through a lot of education and I'd been through a long journey. And I remember I'm like, laughing because I know I feel the same yeah. way for myself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. Like I was like, Oh, okay. No, I do kind of understand that now. And I do kind of, I can sort of put these pieces of a jigsaw into place and sort of understand yeah. who I am and 
this world and there's certain bits of knowledge that I've accumulated that you know when you just hear things and you don't have you can't apply the context around them until yeah. you've reached a certain level anyway I guess what I'm saying is I don't think that our education systems are set up to deal with that whole journey and and maybe that would lead to more things more programs for kids looking like night zookeeper even if they are in the strictest school setting you can imagine um they should still look like that if our society understood that that's what the kids need and that's how a kid should be developing then it would you'd move as far away from that victorian you know chalkboard at the front and every kid at the desk as you possibly could um absolutely, and you certainly absolutely. wouldn't look at something like night zookeeper and go oh that's just a game because then you've completely misunderstood how the human brain develops yeah yeah if we had kids designing the education system it would look very very different it would not look anything like it does now and I agree what you said it's like we take our adult ideas and brains and expectations and think and try and fit it or like the box over the kids when you know that's not not their place at all and I think we also trying to do that, we lose early on, like going back to Picasso. Yeah. Cause he said, everyone's a painter until they become an adult or something like that. Yeah. Or yes. everyone's a, an artist until they, they, they become an adult or, yeah. you know, that I think we kind of scare it out of our, our children. We do. We do. There's a really nice, uh, so Ken Robinson, um, I say nice, terrifying story about how he goes back into a school every year through primary school and the first you know he speaks to all the year ones and they say he says who's an artist and everyone's hand goes up and then by the time he goes back year two few you know most hands but not all of them third year less hands by the time you leave year six maybe there's just the one kid in the class that says i'm an artist and all the other kids just point at them and say they're the artists they're really good at drawing and you know just completely missed the point of human life if that's how we uh, continue to believe and think um, because that's not how that, that's not how we make a happy society and, and a happy individual if you, if, you, if you can't identify as a creative person yeah that's we're, right. we're all creative beings yeah that gave me goosebumps yeah because it's yeah so true unfortunately sadly true well how can we find out more about night zookeeper how can we connect i'll have all the links in the show notes as well um so if anyone's listening if you're listening and anyone wants to go there easily just go to the show notes and just and go to the links but um if you're not able to access that right now where can we find out more so it's nightzookeeper.com that's the the main url where we are we're also Night Zookeeper on your socials, um, so you can follow us and listen to what we're up to. Um, and yeah, and I'm I'm actually the the wiki artist on Twitter. Uh, if you want okay. to find me there, um, W I K I. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The wiki artist. Another legacy of my my early days um, of studying digital art when wikis came out. And I found it fascinating that a wiki was a website that anyone could edit and um, like Wikipedia, anyone can go and edit it. So I, I basically, I made like a series of paintings and I put wiki website addresses in them and I wrote what I thought the painting meant. But then because it was on a wiki website, anyone could go to that URL and change what they thought the, the painting meant uh, because I was always interested in that sort of 
outside of them. Anyway, so I'm the wiki artist, but Night Zookeeper everywhere and nightzookeeper.com. Um, please do get your, your kids involved. Fantastic. And I'll include all of that in the show notes as well, too. Thank you so much, Josh. I, uh, I'm grateful that you took the time. I'm in Canada. Josh is in the UK. So it's evening. They're having a heat wave at the moment. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I appreciate sweat it. Is, sweat is pouring onto the laptop. Yeah. Us, us Brits don't handle the heat well, I'm afraid. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> so I'll, I'll let you get cool, whatever you guys need to do, what your family needs to do for tonight. And um, we'll be in touch again. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Robin. Bye. Take care. Thanks for tuning in today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share, leave a review or comment. I'd love to hear your thoughts, ideas and reflections on the episode. You can go to the website, imhomeschooling.com or email me directly, robin at imhomeschooling.com. 